Hi, and welcome to the Mindful Podcast. I'm Crystal with Zenfully Aware Performance Coaching, and I help you learn to live in the present moment so you can enjoy the here and now. I'm here with Dr. Darian Parker, who earned his PhD in sports education leadership with an emphasis in behavior modification from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. He earned his master's and bachelor's degrees from James Madison University in kinesiology with concentrations in exercise, leadership, athletic administration, and advanced coaching. Dr. Parker is also a certified personal trainer through the National Strength and Conditioning Association. He has received such prestigious accolades such as the NAACP Author Ash Award, the Maryland Marilyn Crawford Scholarship Award, and the Vapard Graduate Student Award. Dr. Parker has also been featured on Fox 5 News Las Vegas and the Healthline Today Show. Furthermore, he's also served as an avert advisory board member for the Nevada chapter for the Strength and Conditioning Association. Dr. Parker has been in the fitness and wellness business for 18 years. Throughout the course of his career, he has served several roles in the fitness and wellness industry. In the academic setting, he served as director of education and program coordinator for both Professional Fitness Institute, Pinnacle Career College. After working in the academic environment, he worked for the WTS International as general manager for Club Ridges, an upscale fitness club located within the gates of the exclusive Ridges community in Las Vegas. In addition to this, he served as the national director of fitness for WTS, assisting in oversight and support of WTS's national portfolio. Furthermore, he continues to be a private personal trainer for several leaders of prominent businesses in the United States. Currently, he's the owner of Parker Personal Training, and he's the co-owner of Epic Leisure Management. And he's also the host of Dr. D's Social Network Podcast. And I'm so grateful for him and being on the Mindful Podcast. So thank you so much, Dr. Darian, and welcome. Thank you. I mean, it makes it sound like I've done a bunch of things. It doesn't seem like I've done a bunch of things like that. <laughs> well, you certainly have. And that is why if we can just kind of talk about, you know, from where you started, what you've noticed, the the changes or the evolution, you know, in the industry over the past 18 years. Uh, I think that I was just talking to somebody about this. I think like when I started in the exercise industry, I think personal training was was coming online. I mean, people obviously were aware of it and, and many people had trainers, but they were more in like, I would say your high population areas like New York City, LA, I mean, some areas in like Miami, you know, in Florida, things like that. And then, you know, you're kind of how your trainer looked was a little bit different. Um, we were kind of coming out of the uh, 90s and 80, 80s and 90s where the trainer was more of your uh, bodybuilding type physique. Um, and I think as it was gotten in the 2000s, the trainer started to look kind of just like a normal person, just maybe um, a little more fit. And then as we've gone on, I feel like just a lot of people, different types of body types are trainers nowadays. And the approach has moved into a lot of um, like high intensity interval training, resistance training, um, things of that nature, huge emphasis on weight loss. So that's always been a thing. Um, so things like that. And I think now we're moving into more of the technological age of, of exercise, how we connect with people virtually 
and getting people to move or have physical activity or exercise. So that's kind of what I've seen over the past uh, in my time in the business. And a lot of that has changed pretty rapidly. So I, I can't even imagine where it may be in the next 20 years. Well, and when you said that, I automatically thought of um, Arnold Schwarzenegger and, you know, kind of just that whole almost mentality of you had to lift heavy and, and as you're saying, kind of look the look a certain way. And how do you think that that, uh, not stigma per se, but how do you think that still affects the industry of what people's perceptions are? I think there's a lot of people who just, who still haven't worked with a professional or they see somebody who does that and they're intimidated by it. I mean, I still have people that I onboard into my training program and they're, you know, I'm the first trainer they've ever had. So they're not sure about what that looks like and how that is going to be. And then if that's your reference point, like bodybuilding, or let's say something that's out in the public now, like CrossFit or, any of these large plate chains of orange theories and stuff, that's what you think it is, you know? And so it's, it's interesting. It's the media plays an interesting um, spin on what fitness is and what it isn't uh, for that. So I think in some ways we're still fighting kind of that large bodybuilding mentality. I mean, I, if you look at any of like people doing that, like really like, Olympias and stuff. I don't consider that to be the same business that I'm in. I I think that's a completely completely separate business. It's an extreme version of uh, what we almost look at it as kind of like a religion. Like, and there's more fundamentalist versions of religion, more moderate things of that nature. I would look at like bodybuilding as a very extreme extremist version of the fitness um, business, and one that a tiny percentage of people would ever get into that's and actually probably not very healthy in, in the sense of what health actually means for that so i feel like we're we're still moving away from that and we're getting more and more science based which i think is good i think we should move away from certain modalities that oh this program is the best or this type of um like this system is the best type of thing these pieces of equipment are the best. We need to rely on that. What's the science? What are the biomechanics? What's, how do we teach people motor learning? What are chronic and acute adaptations, energy systems? If you have a good understanding of the science and the foundational biomechanics of how the body moves, you don't need a system. You don't need gimmicky things. You don't need heart rate training. You don't you know, need screens that tell you this and that. You know everything. You know if you know physics, you know how to train somebody pretty well. Um, so you're not tied to a tool or a system. So I think we're trying to get to that point, but still, the fitness business is a very gimmicky business. It's a it's a late night infomercial business still on some level. So we have to get away from that. It's fun. Wow, there's so many ways, so many ways to go with that, and kind of the the first thing that I was thinking is, you know, the difference between exercise and fitness and wellness. And how do you see those as integrations? And how do you see them as kind of a separate, separate entities? I love this question. I have answered this question many times 
because I love it. I think <laughs> because I think we need to we need to differentiate these things. I think we're doing a real disservice to people by calling everything exercise or everything wellness. What is wellness? I don't know what that means. I think it's a made up word that people say because it sounds good now. But when I was going getting my formal education, there was a real definition of wellness, you know, and it was a wellness wheel and it was encompassing all things related to the physical, mental, emotional, social, occupational, and spiritual aspects of a human being. And we've turned it into some weird thing about skincare and crazy, you know, just weird outside the box things that have nothing to do with wellness. You know, um, we've made it about entertainment. Fitness has become entertainment versus the actual nuts and bolts of it. So I think very few people are actually exercising. I think exercise is very different from physical activity, from movement. So if somebody tells me, hey, well, at least I'm moving, I'm like, that's great. Most people are moving on some level, but that doesn't mean they're creating any chronic adaptations or changes to the actual systems they're working on for that. They may have started out exercising, you know, when a lot of times somebody starts an exercise program or workout program, because the stimulus is so much greater than what they're used to doing, it is causing kind of this acute change and maybe a slight chronic change. But then once what people do is they become comfortable in what, what they're doing and their workout, and they no longer provide a stimulus. So then it becomes physical activity. And so it's the same thing over and over again, the same routine, the same program, whatever you're doing. And so you have essentially stopped with the chronic adaptation and just are occurring a lot of acute adaptation and you're which basically a maintenance program for that. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we need to stop lumping all of these words together, movement, physical activity, exercise, wellness, and we need to operationally define these things much like we would never call surgery something else than what it is. You know, I just, you know, there's, it's a, definitive thing and it's, it's, it's invasive or non-invasive or, you know, there's different breakdowns of what something is, but for in the exercise industry, we call everything exercise or physical activity, but the public doesn't know what that means. They just think it's all exercise. You know? Right. So I guess going along those lines of going back to the fundamentalists, if everything is exercise and we have the, you know, the, the extremes on both ends, then how do we, how do we educate people and how do we really get the, you know, get the word out about, okay, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be the, the total, um, you know, let's lift a hundred or 700 pounds or, or, you know, however that looks. And then you don't have to be the total, uh, hit workouts and, and whatever that looks like, how do we really get people to understand they need different stimuluses and, and what that entails and, uh, what that means? I think it's a, I think it's an incredibly daunting task, Crystal, because mm. our, what we're programmed in a sense, or what we are being programmed to move towards is what is being put out there, which is extreme media coverage of extreme practices. So a, a, a great documentary 
on fitness and wellness is usually in terms of like what's going on and like getting people pumped up is usually weight loss. It's usually extreme exercise practices, uh, meaning like an ultra endurance marathons, CrossFit, things of that nature. Um, or now maybe it's, um, it's, you know, mindfulness, uh, things, which is great, but there's nothing about the middle. There's no, because the middle is not sexy. It's not exciting for a lot of people to just look fairly average. You know, it's like, it's not exciting to put out a documentary (laughs) about these people just are like very average fit people. Like they did things all right. They didn't over-exercise. They didn't under-exercise. They weren't doing all these extreme things. They were just like, okay, nobody, nobody advertises that because it's not exciting to the public. They're like, no, no, I want to see the freakishly big guy you know, lift all this weight. Or I want to see this person who lived out in the woods for 30 days and they didn't speak for the entire time or they went to this monastery. Or oh, I want to see this person who ran in the Gobi Desert for 300 miles. We are a nation of extremes. And so that's what we put out to people. And then the people go, I don't want to do that. I really don't want to be running in the desert for like, you know, five days. And they see people their blisters on their feet and their toenails coming off. And they go, that seems terrible. You know, like some guy who's eating every two hours, wakes himself up with an alarm, eating the same chicken and rice every single day. And, oh, it seems like a terrible lifestyle, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's what we put out to people. So it's a daunting task to say, where's the middle? Where's the regular stuff? Or we put out stuff that's like Instagram stars, these weird programs people have, yada, yada, yada. That's what we, that's what we pull people into. So it's going to take a large effort from people who are willing to move to the center, more moderate aspects of things and say, hey, podcasts are a great way to do that. Let's talk about these types of things. Let's not keep putting out sensationalized um, fitness podcasts about, you know, making gains and, you know, lifting all this weight. And it's like, how about the middle part? just regular people just trying to be moderate at levels of exercise. If they choose to do more, they can do more, but we keep putting out these really extreme levels of non-exercise and exercise and activity and food practices. It's strange to me. (laughs) Well, you mentioned the aspects of mindfulness and the reason I, I am doing this podcast is because I, think that uh, in my experience, people, we are, as a society, as you're mentioning, we're wandering around with our minds full, just full of stuff. I mean, whether that be from, you know, how we should move, how, like, where we should live, how much money we should have, the car we drive, uh, you know, what's our emotional connection, what is where are we going? What's our purpose? What is our, our life supposed to look like in the extremes, you know, for instance, like running in the Gobi desert or even climbing, you know, Mount Everest, what do you think people are looking for that they're not finding in the middle? That's a very good question. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know the psyche of these people that are doing these things. I mean, on my own level, I love it really hardcore exercise and stuff. And somebody may say, Oh, Darian, what, why is he doing that type of thing? I think there's just, 
everybody's very different. And I think that's a small segment of the population. But the, the problem is, is that it's being put out like it's the larger population doing that on TV and in streaming aspects and stuff. I think the middle is boring to a lot of people. It's just not exciting. And we've made, we've made everything into entertainment. I've had this conversation with uh, Dwayne Wimmer on my podcast. It's like, I asked him, I said, what do you think's changed in your 30 years of being in the business? He's like, fitness has become entertainment and wellness has become entertainment. And so we basically have made everything we do to be a show or a piece of juicy, um, scandalous stuff. And I just like, I'm not sure why we keep doing that. Or we keep telling people like fitness should be always fun. Like it should be fun. Everything should be fun and exciting and entertaining. But if you're actually trying to improve and you're trying to cause a chronic adaptation, it's generally not fun. It just isn't, you know, you can Zuma dance all you want and you could, you can do the same yoga poses all you want, but if you're not increasing the intensity and creating some level of comfortableness, you're not going to change the ability to get stronger and increase your range of motion or to be able to dance harder, faster, stronger. You're going to have to be uncomfortable. And I think we tell people, we, we sugarcoat stuff. We go, do this, you'll have fun. Instead of being honest and like this, you may feel like trash when you first start this, honestly, you really might. And it's okay. That's just your, it, it's called a physiological adaptation. You've, you've entered, you've introduced something to your body that it's like, what are we doing? What is this? And it doesn't feel good. <laughs> it's, it's okay to acknowledge that, but we spend a whole bunch of time like, just, just roller skate, do something fun. Like <laughs> make it something that you can do all the time. It's fun. The truth about it is it's criers work. Mm-hmm. Work is not fun all the time. And we need to stop lying to people about it, in my opinion. I love that. What even with the the sugar coating that kind of brings me back to our our nutrition and our food sources and fuel and how do you feel that you know people are are fueling themselves in this kind of sugar coating of exercise and fitness and wellness and everything kind of all lumped in together. Food is food is even worse. Because it's, it's so, it's, there's so much information that it's paralyzing people or the food approach is really damaging psychologically, emotionally, because food, most people's food approach that is like really into like a certain way of eating or diet, it has become their dogma. It's become how they define themselves as a human being. So even if you tell them, hey, you know, ketogenic is not great or carnivore or plant-based, they're going to fight you on that a lot because it has become, it has defined their existence. And so food is so personal, it's become identity-based for so many people for that. Instead of just like having common sense about it and understanding that we are all extremely different people. So why would one thing that works for me work for you and vice versa? It's like, Again, it's it's an extreme approach. I'm going to do this elimination thing. I'm going to take this away. I'm going to do this. And then we find that the research change is so constant that all of a sudden, this is good for you. This is bad for you. This is good for you. Instead of just listening to your own body and go, how does this make me feel? 
for that. We're not very good at listening to ourselves or our own body. And I think that's the big problem. So then we listen to uh, a bunch of stuff that is really maybe, maybe that's, maybe that study is backed by uh, a food company and they're making the results fit to what they want you to buy. Type of, I mean, I'm not trying to be conspiratorial about it, just that there's a lot of evidence of that out there. And when somebody comes up to you and says, oh, you know, you need to fuel your body with this and that. I'm like, how do you know what I need to fuel my body with? You, how would you know that? I don't know what you need to fuel your body with. It's the same thing with exercise. Like when somebody comes to me and I'm working with them, they say, well, how do you, you know, what, what do you, what's going to work best for what we're doing? I'm like, I don't know. I, I have, how would I know that until I apply these basic scientific principles of adaptation and specificity, biomechanics, motor learning, then we'll I'll figure out what's your super compensation levels. You know, we'll discuss like, how did you feel working out in the morning versus the evening? No trainer knows any of that information when they start with somebody. And so I think food and exercise are intertwined in that. No one really knows. We, if you know basic principles, you'll have a good start. But beyond that, you're really building the program as you're working with the person with it. So I think to say this works or that works, it's very dangerous because you don't know that. You actually don't know. If you can, I love the, you know, getting to how you feel uh, because I'm, a big proponent of listening to the body and, and the body, I always say the, the body will whisper and then it'll, you know, get louder and louder and then it'll start screaming before it eventually either shuts down, you know, because we're, we're not listening to it, you know, to uh, hopefully we don't, uh, we don't get to that point. Uh, talk if you could a little bit more about, the identity uh, that people put into their workouts or their food and, and how that, like, how do people come to you with something like that, what they think they want or what they think it looks like and how you work around that? Like you just mentioned, kind of finding do you know fine tuning as you go but what is what what is the identity around that people are are maybe putting pressure on themselves to to have I, to I just think it's so personal for people like if you don't have a solid this isn't a deeper conversation i think a lot of people they're searching for something that gives them purpose in their life and you will find whatever purpose you want in your life, negative or positive, depending on what you latch yourself onto. You know, I always say like, if your sole purpose in life is to define yourself by the food that you're eating and the people that eat that same food, you're going to struggle most of your life. Because is that what should give you purpose in your life? Just what you eat? I've known many people like that. They're so wrapped into what they eat. They can't talk about anything else. There's no other thing that exists in life except for what they eat for that. That's become their dogma for that. And so if somebody comes to me like that, I just ask questions. I'm like, why is this so important to you? Or how does the pursuit of losing 20 pounds, how will that affect your future self? 
you know, I make them, I make them answer their, these questions and to discover how important it actually is. Or was this something somebody told you? Or is it actually your idea? Who influenced you to behave this way? You know, really dig into them psychologically, like, and make them support why this has become their identity. And if they can really, truly support that, and that's what they want, it's fine. But um, I think my job is to explore what, why that identity is what it is, where did that come from, and how they see themselves in a long-term situation with that current identity for that. So I think, you know, it doesn't have to be food. It could be exercise. It could be, you know, orthorexia, this crazy, um, really mm. hyper-focused on being healthy. You know, you have the opposite of sedentaryism. You have orthorexia. A small percentage of the population is just obsessed with being healthy and like, you know, how they make their food, where they go to eat. I don't, I don't drink this. I don't do that. I don't do this. I don't do that. That is unhealthy too for that. So I think it's really just understanding what, what is their purpose? What did they stand on? If it's one of my favorite things, like when I meet new people, I don't ask them like, what do they, like, what do they do? Or, you know, what are you? I'm like, how do you describe yourself? You know, how do other people see you? How do you see yourself? Because often what we do is the first thing we tell people is about the job we do like that, who like that is what defines us. And I don't want to be defined by being a fitness professional. You know, I want to be defined by my faith, by my integrity, how I treat other people, um, the humility I try to have not always successful at it. You know, I, how, how I connect other people. It's not about, you know, what I train somebody to do or something, you know, or, that I did all these things. And I think uh, trying to get away from that's important. The identity is, to me, shouldn't be a job or the type of food you eat or the exercise you do. It should be something larger than yourself, something much more experiential and more, more of you know, the universe in a sense. And what, oh, I love that you brought up the universe because I feel like, you are mentioning physics and I think the whole quantum, you know, physics is, is really interesting. Yeah. Like, you know, putting yourself in the matrix and really like experiencing what that looks like instead of the, um, or, you know, not necessarily that reality is, but what is the truth? You know, what, what do we see around? You're speaking my language and, right now. And I'm how does <laughs> Talk more on that. Yeah. Like, like, how do you see that? Like putting ourselves in a whole different I think it's world. very interesting. Like I was just watching like, the show Devs. It's really good on, um, I think it's like FX. And the whole basis of the show is quantum computing and uh, s virtual simulations that are, you, they're non-distinguishable from reality and that. And I find that stuff very fascinating. I mean, listen, I don't know whether I know it's true or not like that. I mean, I'm not trying to endorse. I'm just saying it's interesting to think about mm -hmm. these things. You know, how would you know if a simulation was virtually indistinguishable from reality? You wouldn't know whether this was real or not for that. But I think we create our own matrix, our own matrices, matrices all the time. 
you know, what, how we live is our matrix. It's our simulation for that. And I think our identity ties into the idea of, you know, quantum computing and, you know, the many worlds theories and things of that nature. What if, you know, it may be at this time I did something else in my life. There's a hundred different ways I could have gone in my life according to the many worlds theories. And this was just one way. It's just fascinating to think about it. They're more conceptual conversations. It's more formalized operations versus uh, concrete thinking. I think most of the people, many people meet in life, think very much in a concrete operations. And very few people have a formal operation mindset. And when we know in psychology, the very few people reach formalized operations where they could theoretically talk to you about what, if, what would have happened like you can say now, like what would have happened if uh, the pandemic happened three years from now versus now? Theoretically thinking about what that would mean for business for that. Or what would have happened if the Nazis uh, didn't have this large power aspect, the rise of Hitler? What would have happened if that never happened? This formalized operations, the ability to think about it versus a concrete operational person would say, well, it didn't, well, it did happen or that didn't happen. So I can't think that about something that didn't happen or did happen. Well, no, I'm asking you to think beyond what is reality, but what could have been a different simulation or version of what we're living and to be able to have a coherent conversation about it. Just as using visualization mm -hmm. and mental imagery, you know, really putting yourself in okay, we're, I'm on the field. I mean, I'm, you know, or on the court or whatever it may be. I'm in front of this audience. I'm, uh, I'm living as if, uh, because that's, what's getting my literally changing my brain into, into a whole different world. Yeah. How, like when you using, um, that mental stimulation of, or even mental simulation of, of thinking about working mm -hmm. the muscles. It's been proven that there have been, you know, significant increases in strength and, um, <laughs> I'm losing the words, but anyway, um, that is why I feel that the, this is why I kind of do what I do and, and, and really am pursuing the path that I'm pursuing is our mind has so much power and we don't even give it the credit for, you know, a quarter, well, you know, one, 5% of it. And in your experience, what is with your clients, how do you get them over that kind of mental hump or if they're experiencing, you know, things, how do you, how do you show them like the beyond? So good. You know what this, I don't think I've ever talked about this type of thing so much, but I, I think it's really important. I think it goes back to not sugarcoating it. Um, one of the things I was a collegiate athlete and, and a track and field athlete for anybody who hasn't done that, or maybe has done more mainstream sports, you know, there's, there's a level of practice and things of that nature where it's very difficult. And then you have time off season 
or practice can be a lot of walkthroughs and stuff and track and field and particularly running is very brutal. It's very painful on a regular basis. And, um, it's, there's so much mental lead up to running and doing intervals and running everywhere on campus and going to track meets regularly. And the, the training is just so brutal on a regular basis. Um, it requires a tremendous amount of suffering in the sense of um, exercise suffering, not, not of course like life suffering, but in that sense. And so it's building up a tolerance to be able to suffer and, and that form of it. And it's one thing that I talk quite a bit to my clients about is that, you know, if you want to improve, you want to truly improve this goal that you told me you want to achieve. And what I'm telling you it's going to take to get there is going to require a lot of physical suffering. And you need to be okay with that. And you need to get over the hump, which, you know, some clients, they're not willing to do that. They're, you know, it's happened, over, you know, a handful of times throughout my almost 20 years now. And it's funny, I have great stories with clients who are like, I'll start with them. And, you know, we're starting at a base level, but it's, it's very difficult for them. And they drop off for a little bit. Actually, a guy I've had for almost 13 years now. I remember he took a month off after we started for the first couple of weeks. And then I saw him in the gym and I said, hey, how you doing? He was like, Darian, I just I had to stop for a month because I had to get my mind right that this was going to be difficult from here on out. I just wasn't used to that feeling. He's like, I know you told me, but it's like, I'm just expecting it to get easier and easier. I'm like, okay. I'm like, how does that work though? I mean, like, and I put it to him in running. I'm like, a person who runs a 10 minute mile and that becomes easy to them. Okay. That it becomes easy. That's why they keep doing the 10 minute mile because it's comfortable. But somebody who is an elite athlete running like a four something minute mile you know, the fitter you get, the worse it feels. <laughs> like, you know, like running a four thirty, <laughs> four five mile is incredibly, unbelievably painful. So there, there's not this re relationship of like, I get fitter and everything just gets easier. Oh, no, no, no. The temperature gets turned up once you get fitter. It becomes harder to maintain that level of fitness. And the intensity to maintain that level of intensity is incredibly hard. So... I say, listen, suffering in the aspect of physical fitness is just part of it to improve regularly, gradually over time. You will suffer. Uh, and that's just part of it. You either accept it or you go on a maintenance program. And that's probably for somebody else to do. Probably not with me. I want you to improve. You should want to improve. And these are your goals. If you want to improve, suffering is part of it. You need to get your mind right and deal with it type of thing. So I'm very, very honest with people about that. And the mentality that if you look at, there's been great research on physical pain and suffering among elite athletes. And the greatest athletes are the ones, their ability to cope with suffering during training and during, uh, you know, the games, the races, events, they're the greatest athletes. They, their ability to overcome pain and deal with it is unbelievable. And that's a large mental part of it. But I just don't want to sugarcoat it with like, oh, we're going to have a lot of fun today. You know, we're going to, you know, we're going to be doing these progressions that are really tough. But you know what? It's fine. You'll, you're going to really enjoy it. I'm like, odds are you're not. It's going to feel garbage to you. You know, just deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? 
I like the, uh, I find myself, uh, you know, just thinking about some of, of my training progressions and, and how, you know, sometimes it's obviously some days are, are easier than others. And, you know, some days you're totally into it. And then yeah. others you're like, F this, I just, and you shouldn't train hard all <laughs> the time. The you shouldn't. I'm I mean, even... but on the, when you're programming something and you want to like, Hey man, this today is more recovery and stuff. Let it be that. But when it's time to hit it and you want to improve, it's not going to be fun. It's more than likely not going to be fun. So it's really just saying, Hey, listen, let me get myself ready. This is temporary. That's one of my big terms. Like it's really just temporary. It's not like you have this chronic disease that you're suffering from that is just destroying you over and over again for many years. It's like 30 minutes of hell. Just get through it, man. And you'll be fine. I love it. So what is your kind of, besides the the not sugarcoating and being really transparent what is the magic i mean mm-hmm. this guy's been with you for 13 years so what is that magic around that philosophy you know of of life and work and play I, and- you know what i think um it was interesting i was to answer i want to answer your question i'm gonna go a little roundabout here a little bit but i was having a discussion with one of my clients uh who was a psychologist couple who are, you know, PTs and stuff. And uh, I say, you know what, I'm working on building a psych profile of clients that are the most successful over the years. And I've, I've had the very fortunate case to have many 10 year plus clients, seven, eight, nine years. They're, all these people have stayed with me for a really long time. And I'm like, what is it with most of my clientele that have been around for a long time as a comfort do they feel like, oh, they've been with me for so long, they don't want to make a change? I don't know. Is it that they all have similar um, personalities as a sense of current research related to it? And I think I've come down to a few things. The magic really is that I think one, uh, really successful uh, clients or people who are into increasing their health and wellness, it's a non negotiable for them. They, they schedule. They put it in their lifestyle. It's part of like, it's like taking care of their kids. It's like their job. It's, it's a very relevant, very impactful part of their lives. Uh, two, I think these people are great sufferers. They're great at suffering. They just accept it. They know going into the workout, it's probably going to be pretty hard. I'm going to not, probably not feel the best. But they also recognize that um, we're in it together you know, and that we have a great conversation during that suffering. I coach them a very positive. I think the other thing, the other magic is just being a normal person. I think sometimes the service provider makes themselves seem like this superhuman person or this super restrictive person. Like I only do this. I only eat that only, you know, this like, I have to put on this appearance, this cape to be a personal trainer. My focus is like, I'm just a regular dude. You know, I tell some bad jokes, tell some good jokes, talk about my struggles as a human being regularly. Uh, We talk about their struggles as a human being, talk about vacations. We talk about being sad. Like we just talk about being regular people. And I don't hide anything about myself to my clients. I'm very open 
to them about who I am as a person. You know, we talk about my podcast. We do a bunch of, I share stuff with them. Like, it's just like very, it's just a normal getting to know you relationship over many, many years that involves a decent amount of suffering <laughs> during it, you know? And so we just, that's to me, that's the <laughs> magic is like, be yourself. Try not to be some weird version of a trainer, some celebrity trainer, whatever you think you need to be. Just be yourself. That's the magic. And be honest with your clients about what they're going to be, be experiencing. I'm always telling my clients like, like, oh, today is more of a metabolic day. You know, we're going to really provide a lot of intensity. It's going to hurt a lot, man. Like, it's really going to hurt. And they're like, you always say that. I'm like, I don't want to lie to you. I'm just going to tell you. There's going to be points where you're going to feel like, what am I doing here? That's okay. Question yourself. It's okay to question if you should be there or not at some point. <laughs> it's okay. It's just a thought. It's just a day. It's just a day. It doesn't define your existence if you don't feel great in that moment, you know, or that you're not good enough. It's just a moment. And how you handle that moment is going to say a lot about how you will handle future moments and the results related to that. For sure. And I love the uh, non-negotiable. I really am working to um, convey that to people. You know, it's not, you're not doing it for me. Uh, I'm not, I, the results aren't my achievements. Um, you know, you're doing this for you. You you have to really, as you're saying, put that work in. And And I'm just kind of the, you know, the guide, the, maybe the guardrail, you know, so you don't fall over the side and, um, you know, but I, I use the, sometimes I use, you know, I don't, I don't care what you do. Um, you have to care what you do. It's, it's not that, that I'm not compassionate for you. Um, but you have to make that decision. It's not, it's not me. Um, so that's the non-negotiable and the being curious as you're saying, that's okay. I, I totally like here. people will say, man, I can't <laughs> believe I pay for this. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure you do think that sometimes. Oh, well, um, and I, you know, and people go, oh, what are you making me do this? Oh, you're going to make me do that. And it's like, I don't make you do anything. I just provide parameters and you either do it or you mm. don't. That's it. I just being honest with people, which is what I do in my life with people is like, I'm honest with them. I'm transparent. I'm not passive aggressive with my clients. I'm like, listen, it's a two-way street. One of my favorite things I tell clients when they first step on with me is like, listen, please do not try to purchase a bunch of sessions with me, like 20 sessions in advance. Maybe just do like the 10 pack, maybe five, because I need to determine whether I want to do this with you too. I don't want to be stuck in something I'm not into. It's a two-way street. So as much as you think you're buying me, I'm, or evaluating me, I'm evaluating whether I want to spend my time with you also. It's a two-way street. So I don't treat it as like, well, the client, they're right about everything and I need to do every, whatever I can to make them happy during the session. I don't know. It's a two-way street. If, it's not, if I'm not feeling it and I feel like you're not contributing to both sides of this equation, then I don't want to continue doing it either. So Let's just feel each other out. Let's see what you're made of. And we'll find that out very quickly. 
within the first 10 sessions what you're made of. I know what I'm made of, but I don't know what you're made of. And so we need to see if that blends together. And if you're willing to uh, physically suffer in a way that you don't feel like I just can't keep coming back to this. I mean, I'm not killing people here. I, you know, I'm just like asking you to do a little bit more and be a little uncomfortable. <laughs> And being okay with that discomfort is just part of it, which is why I have such a huge issue with this whole entertainment for exercise thing. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, it's, 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 like, it's like putting a cover over something that's really violent and saying it's fun. They're like, oh, the outside is fun. The inside is terrible. But we won't tell them about that part. We'll just make them believe it's a lot of fun. And then we tell them that it's actually violent and difficult and hard then, you know, we got them anyways, you know, so type of thing. I just tell people up front, I stand in front of that box and go, you're not going to feel great, man, especially the first week. You're going to, we're introducing so many new stimuli to your body. Your body is going to be like, this is garbage, man. I mean, I'm, this is like really bad. And you're going to want to be like, I don't want to do this. And then that's what I tell people. It's just how it's going to feel for now. We need to get used to it and then we'll gradually increase. But that, that first week or so, you're get you're it's like a rebirth. You're you're going through a brand new person. You're you're we're creating you're <laughs> cocooning out of something way different, you know. I love it. Cocooning. Well, and I mean a testament to what you're doing, obviously, and the truth that you are giving to people are how many clients that you have had for so long. And can you speak to, because, so uh, yeah. JMU is in Virginia, and mm -hmm. I believe you are now in Washington State. So, you know, the reason that most trainers lose clients is because of whether the clients move or whether the trainer moves. So how has your virtual setting really given them the opportunity to follow you and you follow them and Really I think the virtual space connection. is an awesome opportunity for the majority of um, health and wellness professionals. Um, but I think that opportunity may not be maximized by a lot of people just because it's, it's not as easy as people think it is. I think it, the, the obvious things is that it provides a larger clientele opportunity because you no longer are you locally based. You can be the world as your kind of your global um, picking of, the, of people to work with and things of that nature. Um, but it does allow a sense of like, it decreases the friction, in my opinion. And a lot of training and being successful in training is decreasing friction. And what I mean by that is, I would say the, the layman's terms would be taking away excuses. Um, but I just call it friction points. I'm like, how can I decrease? How can I make it very difficult for a client to say, I just can't do this. So I said, okay, let's train virtually, live virtually. So we get a sense of that it's happening in real time. You're getting a sense of who I am as a person on at least some level in a real time. We're wearing AirPods together, a tripod. We can see each other. We can hear each other. We're inside of our brains. We're creating this intimate connection. And let me take away the driving aspect of it to go to a gym let me take away the childcare aspect of it because you're at your home or wherever it's close. And let's take away all these friction points 
oh, I need a bunch of equipment. You don't need a bunch of equipment. We're going to start with learning how to move your own body first. We take away the friction point of equipment. We will build that in slowly over time. Um, and then convenience and all those things. Um, so once all those friction points have been eliminated, then it comes down to really just you making the decision and going, okay, I don't have 10 variables keeping me from doing it. Now I have maybe one or two. The, the odds of them doing it are much higher at that point. And the odds of them canceling during sessions are much lower because what are they going to tell me? They don't have their phone. Everybody has their phone. That's such a lie if they're saying that, you know, like, oh, I forgot it. I'm like, really? You forgot your phone, your digital prosthesis. You forgot that. I'm like, of course you, of course you didn't forget. So the, the fact that everybody oh, like has that. a phone or some, t- t- uh, some aspect of communication device makes it so much easier to have this service. Um, whereas when you're training people in person, they could tell you, oh, I'm at home. I'm sick. Is that true? I don't know. I'm sure some people are saying that just because they don't want to work out that day. I mean, it's just the truth. I think on some level, you know, or, you know, I know of clients who've just, you know, come into the parking lot at gyms and they just ride around in the parking lot and then just go home, you know, and decide I'm not doing this today, you know, type of thing. So it cuts down on a lot of that. They say, Oh, I got, you know, I had all these emails and stuff. I'm like, yeah, on your phone, the thing you're using to work out with me. I'm like, so, you know, you're just taking away the, the friction points with it. So I think virtual training is an awesome avenue to use. It's allowed me to expand my clientele uh, to other parts of the world, parts of the United States that I normally wouldn't have been, been in um, to find the people. I, I tend to search for people that they all have a very similar thing. They're okay with suffering. Exercise is generally a part of their life. It's a very important part of their life and that they're seeking a long-term relationship. It's a lot like dating and getting with somebody with me. Like, I don't think that I'm going to go into this like 30-year relationship with somebody, but it, it tends to start, it ends up becoming that, you know, <laughs> there's a 13-year, 11-year, 9-year, 8-year, 7-year, 9-year, 10-year, 11-year. It just ends up becoming these like common law marriages, it feels like, um, with me and people. And I think it's just because I'm a regular person. I tell them I'm upfront. I'm very transparent about it. And you can do that virtually. It doesn't mean you can, being in person is wonderful. Believe me, I love doing that too. But you can achieve the same things uh, virtually as well. I love well, <laughs> the true, digital man. prosthesis. prosthesis <laughs> is, uh, for sure. Oh hot my gosh. Hands. Yeah. Like hot little hands. I mean, I, it's like, uh, th- there is no, um, you're going to use that. Even, I know you're going to yeah, use that. That's, that's a great <laughs> term. I love that. I totally am. I'm going to steal it for sure. <laughs> and, you know, speaking of, I can't even remember how we connected yet you have connected me with so many people and you're the host of Dr. D's social network. And, you know, what do you enjoy about making those connections and, and really connecting those people who, who are kindred spirits? I mean, you are the, <laughs> I just the like king of connecting. Watching other people like learn about each other. I think it's really important. I think my personal training clients 
and all the relationships, my wife, my daughter, my friends, I, I enjoy watching humans connect with each other in meaningful, honest, and open ways. And for me, I've really just tried to target connecting people in other cities, other states with each other to find, you know, meaningful, meaningful relationships with other people. It's nice when uh, I connect uh, people together and then they end up becoming really good friends or they'll tell me, you know, these two people were going through a divorce and they helped each other through their divorces, their late night phone calls and stuff like that, or they're going on vacation together. I mean, they, all these are real examples of what's happened in my life with people. And uh, it's just incredible, you know, that I have, there's this, I mean, there's weird stuff too. I mean, it's like people who literally have groups, like virtual group chats, and they name their chats, like Darian's group and stuff like that, like Darian's angels and stuff. It's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> it's weird, funny, and endearing all at the same time. It's really funny. And um, I think it's just, it's just, I have a real heart for helping people find other people. And I think we're too lonely in this world too many times. And it's good to have a lot of people loving you. I don't think anybody ever said, I hate that all these people love me, like really care about me. Like I've never heard that. And so I don't think you can have enough love, enough meaningful, wonderful relationships with people that keep you positive and keep you engaged and seeing the positive simulation of life, if you will, you know, and curating this experience with wonderful people doesn't mean there's going to be, it's going to be easy. I mean, there's going to be a lot of bad times. It's just life, but it's better to go through bad times with beautiful people that you really care about. And uh, so my goal with my podcast and in connection is just to hopefully be a vessel to connect as many wonderful, beautiful people together so that when they do suffer in the life sense, they have other people to do it with. Wow. Beautiful and powerful all at once. And, you know, there, it makes me kind of think of that mm -hmm. game yeah. or, you know, six degrees of Kevin Bacon and, <laughs> you know, it's six degrees of Darian Parker. And that's, like, you know, like, it's weird. It's happened so much second. now. How like people <laughs> like... will tell me they're like, Oh, I know this person because of you or your name was about this. And I just think it's like anything. If you reach a critical mass point, then, your name will be circulated around constantly because you've just done it so much, you know? No, it's, it's pretty cool. It's, and you don't no. even, like you're saying, you don't even think about it. Just do it. You know, I it just, gets to a certain it's point. just fun to do it. Like I'll, you know, my process really is like, I'll meet somebody cool. And then I'll think, man, who would really like speaking to this person? Oh, Crystal, Crystal's cool. She's in Florida. I'll, I'll connect her with this person. Oh, a Denver person. Oh, you know, Mich Michelle Zellner in Denver. She should talk to this person. Oh, Katarina too. Oh, this person's in Hawaii. Oh, I know this great person in Hawaii. They should meet each other. That is basically how it happens, you know? Well, and just the fact that you have that uh, almost forward thinking in about how different personalities would get along and, and really who would enjoy speaking to each other. Uh, because sometimes, you know, we take, we take an interaction as a, as a surface level. And whereas you really go deeper and you do, you ask the questions and you're, 
you're that normal person who who really finds finds cool. people's I mean souls. I think it's it's easy to kind of cool. say hey you know here's a mass email or mass text and like talk to so and so but I think it's good to like really decipher like who would actually have good chemistry with each other you know um you know obviously you're you're a very mindful person and yoga and mindfulness and all that obviously i i I'd, I'd want to connect you with people who are very much into that or um or a similar pathway and approach or just somebody i think you would just have a good conversation like i noticed the first time we talked ever uh, you just you just ask really good questions and they're very like existential based questions which are my favorite questions by the way but that's not for everybody not everybody wants to speak about quantum computing and existentialism you know and and humanistic behavior and <laughs> idealism like that's so far not, uh, away from what somebody wants to talk about sometimes they just want to talk about sports or something you know or beers they like and stuff so you gotta like kind of like it's matchmaking on some level you know For sure. And I, <laughs> I'm still getting used to uh, really feeling that out. I just <laughs> think everybody wants to talk about the universe and its power and its magic. And um, yeah, and sometimes I do. I have to pull myself back into. I think into that's this my podcast and, for me uh, is like I <laughs> you know. have really made an effort to have something for everybody on that it's not just a fitness podcast or a health podcast for me personally it's just like you'll find you'll find that my brain is filled with a tremendous amount of fascinations and ideas that one thing may be about artificial intelligence the next thing might be about um you know uh sexual contamination the next thing will be about poetry like it just be all over the place these different ideas of my mind and uh interesting topics and all it just and for, so for me, I, I feel like a strength of mine is like, I can become whatever the conversation needs me to become for that. And if we need to discuss, like I have a lady coming on soon about Catholicism and the secret of f the female priesthood. I mean, I don't know a lot about that, but I will become whatever that conversation requires me to become in that, to learn more about it and to be interested in it. So I think that's kind of with my clients that I work with is I am... They're all so different personality wise, but I'm able to adapt to whatever they, who they are as people and, and translate that into a relationship with them. You know, so I'm not going to be somebody who's like, oh, I don't like deep thinking. So I can't talk to any of my clients who want to talk about Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning or something, you know, like I just can't do that because I'm not, I just, I can go deep. I can go very surfacey, can be whatever it needs me to be for that. And I think it's helped me do well in my life and in my businesses. And it's shown, I mean, the, the, you know, they say we, we almost build evidence around certain things. And um, I think, you know, when you were just going through the years that people, obviously different clients have been with you, Thank it's you. a true testament um, to that. Um, yeah. So how can, I'll put everything in, um, 
in the episode, but how can people find you? How you know, can it's people funny when people ask me that? I have you. like this weird like feeling about it. <laughs> it's going to sound funny, but like it's one of these things where I want to be found, but I kind of don't want to be found also at the same time. It's weird. Like I like operating in the shadows, which I think is kind of why I don't have a lot of social media and all these things, because I just kind of like, I want to do stuff, but not a lot in the sense of like being out there. So I think one is a good way to find me and to know me is through my podcast, Dr. D's social network, because you're going to learn a lot about my conversation style, about the topics I'm into by the people that I talk to for that. So that's, you know, on, on all major podcast outlets, you know, Apple, Google play, Stitcher, um, and anything. I mean, literally just put it in there. It's out there. And then on LinkedIn, which I spend a lot of time on, I'm on there. It's easy to find me there, uh, posting pretty regularly, just about being positive and about my podcast and things of that nature. And that's pretty much it in terms of that. And then I have my other business, Epic Leisure Management. Um, but again, I think a lot of the listeners, they, it's not like something they would be looking at, honestly, probably, unless they were like owning a hotel or something like that, you know? So um, I would say those two things, my podcast and on LinkedIn are good ways to connect with me. And also I think good ways to know the type of person that I am. Um, and that the person that I am in those two formats is the person that I am in person with people. So. I love it. And I, I love the, you know, in the shadows, just really observing and uh, and taking it all in while well, I think a good thing is like I love that movie um, out as well. Uh Walter Mitty. I think Adventures Walter Mitty. It's a really good movie. It's just so it's just amazing. And there's one part, it's a remake. It's like Ben Stiller's in it and um Sean Penn. And I think it's a good kind of leaving point. There's this point where he travels to find Sean Penn. He's up on this mountain. I think it's it's maybe it's like India or somewhere close to that. And they're looking for this like spotted snow leopard. And, you know, he has his camera on it. And then he goes, why didn't you take the shot of it? And he says, uh, beautiful things don't ask for attention. And I'm not saying that I'm beautiful. It's not like that. But I think that a lot of, mm. if you're doing really good in the world, like honestly doing good things and you're pushing yourself to just help other people, you don't need to ask for attention. You shouldn't ask for attention. Just let your work do for it or let other people talk about that stuff. But you put your head down and do the good works in the world. And don't, you don't need validation from social media and all these places to tell you that you're doing a good job. Just do a good job and let it, let it fetter out there, you know? So perfect. Yes. And so needed. Um, and I appreciate that as, as kind of a, a sending off point because I, I really think the use of social media can be um, somewhat of validation. And so thank you so much for your time and your energy and really an, an interesting, no. I, I do. It I has love, been too I long. Miss our conversations, <laughs> I guess. It, it's been too long. So, uh, Thank you so much for doing this. And I look forward to every way that, that we connect. And, and I course. really do appreciate it. Mean, you know, our, I'll be sending uh, you people again in the future connection. here. It'll happen. <laughs> of course. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
well, be safe and and stay healthy and you all got that it. good Thanks, stuff. Crystal. And uh, I'll all be right. talking to you soon. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye.